welcome to Azure Wrap, the American Society of Regional Anesthesia and Pain podcast. I'm your host, Raj Gupta. With I have all my co-hosts with me today, Eric Schwenk, Sandy Christensen, and Gary Schwartz. How is everybody today? Freezing, how are you? Great. <laughs> yeah, everybody's trying to stay warm in their respective locations, I think. But um, And yeah, with us today... Definitely in New York. Um, and then our guest today is Andrea Nickel. Andrea is an associate professor in the Department of Anesthesiology and associate director at the KUMC Institute for Neurologic Discoveries in Chronic Pain Division at the University of Kansas. How are you, Andrea? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. So we, before we get to our topic of discussion for today, I just want to make one uh, really important announcement uh, before we get into the talk. Uh, that is that the spring meeting for ASRA is coming up really quickly. It's going to be in April 23rd through the 25th in San Francisco at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square. Um, the important part of that is the abstract submission deadline is coming around the corner. If you're interested in submitting an abstract for this meeting, that deadline is Tuesday, January 7th. And I know everybody's thinking about the holidays right now and New Year's, and January 7th will be here in the blink of an eye. So if you're thinking about that, go ahead and get your abstracts written and uh, maybe even send them in before the new year so you don't have to think about it uh, right up to the deadline. Okay, so our topic of discussion for today is to kind of recap some of the lessons learned and some of the highlights of the fall pain meeting. Um, I think if you guys remember, we talked to uh, Andrea and Jean back in the summer about what they were expecting that fall pain meeting to be like. And uh, it turned out stellar. Uh, I can say uh, on behalf of Andrea, and I'm sure she'll tell you more, is that we had uh, a really great turnout, uh, lots of engagement at the meeting, and her program was uh, very innovative compared to past meetings in many, many different ways. And I would love to talk to all of you guys, because every one of us attended it at certain points, if not the whole thing. And there were a lot of interesting um, topics of discussion, a lot of things that I think surprised people as far as what was popular and interesting to the audience. So Andrea, we'll start with you. Um, what's your sort of first impression on uh, your meeting and uh, as you now have had a month or so to reflect back on it? I mean, it it was, it, you know, it's funny when you plan this thing, you're you don't know what to expect. And it's kind of like, throwing a big wedding or a, a giant party with, you know, 95 brides and grooms and then a bunch of, you know, 1300 attendees. And you come in and you just, you hope people love it, right? You, you want to create a meeting where people feel stimulated and excited. And, you know, the way that I designed this meeting was I essentially made like the meet, like my, my dream meeting, like this was the meeting I would want to go to and see in terms of content and speakers. And so to watch it all come together was above and beyond probably one of the most exciting, um, you know, experiences in my career that I've had this far. But my uh, just initial impressions from the meeting was just the palpable excitement and, you know, just overall energy that was going on in, you know, the lecture halls and in the workshops and just even in the hallways between um, the the sessions was just this very different feeling than I feel like we've had at different meetings. It was, it was just a buzz. It was very exciting. 
Hey, Saint, uh, sorry. Hey, Andrea, this is Eric. I have a question um, related to a couple of the speakers who are from my institution, Jefferson. I had heard that uh, they were fairly well received. I, I ducked out early of the meeting, so I wasn't there for the rest of Saturday. But uh, Dr. Weinstein's uh, talk as it relates to depression in medicine and also the I think earlier in the meeting, there were some sessions involving surgeons. What was your impression of those and did you hear feedback from people related to that because it seems like those were sessions that were sort of out of the ordinary but were pretty popular too i mean i will say so the the plenary session you're speaking of is the primum non noceri session on that was the second plenary session on saturday and um i think for those of us that were in that room witnessing what we witnessed with both drs erica howe and dr weinstein um I mean, I don't think there was a person in that room that wasn't moved uh, at a very deep um, core level by what they, they saw. Um, he showed a video um, that is actually available on YouTube and we could potentially link. Um, I don't know if that's available on the Azure website or we can link it to this podcast. But um, I, honestly, I'm not sure there was a dry eye in the house. Uh, I know I was crying and Jean was crying and looking around, people were honestly, just really moved by what they were seeing. And I think, you know, it's such a topic of a taboo nature. You know, we all do our jobs and we're, we try and stay strong and to recognize that at the deep core of all of us, we all have feelings like Dr. Weinstein has had at some time. Um, and, you know, whether or not we have uh, the people around us to help us get through it or whatnot, you know, there was a very humanistic portion to that that session that I think resonated with people. And I had people come up to me afterwards saying that they felt like it had changed their life. Um, it it was it was astounding and exciting and all of the you know all of the things. It I think I had so many emotions just as a participant in that section or in that session that I wasn't I wasn't sure what I was going to feel after I created that session, but both Jean and I agreed that the session was without a doubt, you know, the seminal um, session of the entire meeting. That's amazing, Andrea. I, um, the other thing that I noticed that you did so well at this meeting is every single panel, I think, had a, a woman on it, which I just think you did an amazing job of finding women who are experts in the field of whatever topic you were looking for and allowing other female physicians and trainees to see women on the panels talking about topics just like the men do. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but I thought that was very successful. I, and I, I agree. And I, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back about that, but it, because honestly, it took a lot of effort um, to do that. Uh, I found myself having an, my own sort of implicit bias when I was creating the meeting all those years ago where I would, you know, Jean and I had spoken about needing gender diversity and, um, you know, that that was a comment from the participants during, you know, we get evaluations from every meeting every year. There's, you know, discussions about needing new talent, wanting fresh spaces um, and about there being gender diversity. But interestingly enough, when I made my first few drafts of the meeting, I was making manals left and right. 
And I, I don't think I realized it until I kind of took a step back and was like, wait a second. Like, it's just, it's one of those things, I think, being part of the 18% in pain medicine that is female um, and going to these meeting for, meetings for so long, you know, that's what you see. And it's almost like what you see is what you get when you're planning a meeting. So it took me a, a moment um, or more than many moments to step back and look at what I was doing and make a very conscious effort to craft panels wherein I was using true content experts um, and making sure that that included diversity and that I wasn't just, you know, I feel like sometimes you could just throw a woman on there just to throw a woman on there. But I, I what I really was very meticulous in trying to craft was having women content experts deliver the content. How did you go about finding um, female experts? I'm just curious. Um, I went on to PubMed. I went uh -huh. to um, NIH Reporter, which is a public depository for all of the NIH funding across the United States. Um, I went on to Facebook groups. Um, you know, there's a women in pain man management Facebook group and I just getting names from there. Um, and then honestly, just kind of reaching out to other people through ASRA that I know to to say, hey, do you know a woman who can provide this content? Um, and I think between those different avenues, I was able to find, you know, enough, you know, enough women to fill at least one role on each panel. Um, and honestly, there's so many more that I didn't even get to include. And I, gosh, I wish I could have. Andrew, it was really great because one of my favorite sessions was the practice management session on Saturday. And Normala Abraham did a fabulous job because normally we only have more elderly statesmen, chairmen, and that session was completely packed, but she did a great job from a small private practice perspective. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that with more women in the practice management session and more private practice people getting involved Absolutely. in the meeting? A hundred percent, you know, and again, through some of these Facebook groups, I'm starting to get to know some of the women who are involved in private practice who really, you know, deserve recognition for their expertise in their content areas. And you know, I have the blessing of knowing Nirmala since she trained me at UCLA. So I, I, I know her, her worth and I, I knew that she was going to be a wonderful person for that panel of leaving academics and essentially going and creating her own um, practice in a, in a small private practice sphere. But there's a, a burgeoning amount of, I think, women out there in the private sector that we just... Uh, we, we need to start incorporating them more into the programs. And, uh, you know, I think I started a little bit with this program and hopefully as the next programs come through that that will continue and uh, continue to blossom. So, Andrea, I'm going to give you uh, a little bit of context of a conversation that uh, Eric and I incidentally ended up on and bring it back to your meeting. Um, so uh, Eric posted something on social media recently that... Um, drew the attention of uh, a probably a vocal minority of patients out there about um, our opioid reduction strategies in patients. And I know many of the topics uh, during the last meeting were on um, buprenorphine, on opioid ad or multimodal analgesics in chronic pain medication, obviously a lot of uh, procedural therapies for chronic pain management. 
Um, what is the conversation? up trouble again. Yeah, and Eric's Eric's the instigator for most of that. So, um, so, but um, what is your it's, thoughts? It's okay, I got a bit of Twitter trouble at the meeting as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my curiosity is, I've I found it fascinating listening and or, or reading some of these comments because, in, in my opinion, they're valid perspectives from that person's perspective, and they, you know, that that person doesn't necessarily have the privilege of seeing a lot of patients like we do um, and trying to see patterns across large populations or looking at the literature constantly. So um, my question for you is, is as you navigated through your sessions and the different uh, conversations occurring about this area of um, making the transition from an opioid heavy pain, chronic pain management world to one that's using opioids less, what is your thoughts on how do we help the population of chronic pain patients out there understand the value of this transition, even though there is going to be um, some people who do it wrong and some people who are suffering because of that? Well, and I mean, I think the whole purpose uh, of the meeting and how I crafted it was never to say that opioid free is the way to go. And you know, I, as a comprehensive pain management doctor who was trained in kind of the latter years of opioid heavy prescribing pain management, um, I mean, I, it's not something I shy away from in the right instances. And I think the problem is, is that the pendulum swung so far from the opioid heavy route to the, I'm not going to prescribe at all and just be an interventionalist only, only pain management doctor that I don't think either side of that is right. And I think that's one thing that marginalizes patients who, um, you know, may be a candidate for chronic opioid therapy or may need to see a provider who can talk to them about their options for reducing opioids through these other measures. I think that's a big problem for a lot of these patients and the ones that we see, you know, getting kind of up in arms, so to speak, about um, the type of practice that we're leaning towards is that many of them were that was their one option. And then with the advent of, you know, more recent thinking towards pain management, many of them have either been, you know, left to having nobody to manage their pain after being previously treated with opioids or whatnot, um, to feeling like they're completely just discarded on, on the wayside with no options. And I think one of the things I noticed, you know, as I was tweeting throughout the meeting and getting a little bit of some, um, antagonistic tweets is, you know, most of my tweets were actually very pro-patient, um, you know, in terms of, I think one of the things that Eric got brought up on was like catastrophizing and not recognizing that we understand that catastrophizing is a result of the chronic pain and that, yes, if we treat chronic pain better, the catastrophizing will likely decrease, but they, in their minds, view us just saying that we think that they're just complaining. It was kind and, of like, um, it was almost like I invented catastrophizing on the spot, you know what I mean? Right. But without the context, I guess they don't really, they don't understand, like Raj said. So I think that was yeah, some of that. You know, I mean, it, it's difficult because I feel like they're just, I mean, again, how many characters are tweets? Like 140 characters? Like they're getting a tiny little snippet of us trying to provide some content for medical education on Twitter and they're not getting that full picture that the, those of us at the meeting got, which was, yes, 
catastrophizing plays a role in the perception and modulation and, and you know, as ongoing uh, modulation of pain. But we understand as pain providers that it is essentially kind of a two-way street. It can cause the pain, but most likely it's a downstream effect of the pain. And therefore, all of us at the meeting, even though we were mentioning that certain factors are associated with poor pain outcomes, um, that most of us were advocating for better pain care so that we could improve patients' quality of life. So I think that's the one difficult part is we're having these wonderful meetings with the cutting-edge knowledge and cutting-edge research, but when we put these things out on social media, you know, it's only in these tiny bite-sized deliverables that the masses may consume. And I think if people in chronic pain were privy to what was being discussed at the meeting, I don't think they'd feel as disenfranchised. That's my, that's my two cents. So let me add one more cent question in there, which is, um, what was the conversation from the providers as far as, uh, or the other uh, people at the meeting as far as their challenges in having this conversation for, with their patients? Uh, did you talk to anybody about that issue? I did. And, and a lot of, you know, in the question and answer sessions, a lot of the panelists were being asked about, you know, what do we do to try and let people know that we're not trying to dismantle pain management as we know it, but we're trying to offer alternatives and solutions that may better all of us in the long run. Um, and by all of us, I mean the patients um, in terms of morbidity and mortality. Uh, it, it seems as if you know, even though we're kind of years into this opioid epidemic and things are continuing to progress, that many of our practitioners are still somewhat at a loss of how to adequately treat people in a comprehensive manner. Um, and I think that goes above and beyond pharmacologic care. Many people are um, you know, have difficulties accessing physical therapy and physical modalities for treating them. And, and, you know, that really begs the additional comment of, you know, access for pain psychological care, um, whether it be through cognitive behavioral or biofeedback. You know, the, the sad part of this equation for a lot of our practitioners and members that joined us for the meeting is that, access and equality to care, different types of care that could potentially obviate a reduction or cessation of opioids are unfortunately not available for the majority of people in this country. And I think that that therein is a significant problem. Yeah, great points. Um, I think patient involvement in some of these sessions I know has, uh, has been a nice a nice touch to some of the meetings in the past. So I, I think um, I don't I don't recall if any of your sessions in your meeting had had patient involvement. And it seems like it's mainly been in the spring sessions. But what would you think about uh, patient involvement in like a chronic pain session on that issue of opioid free anesthesia, for example? Maybe you get a patient in there, and I realize it could there could be some controversy, but it would be nice to see maybe a patient who's take in opioids for a long time, get that kind of perspective mixed in and and uh, see what happens. Absolutely. I actually think Magda's trying to do something like that for her for the next fall meeting. Um, so, I mean, stay tuned. 
eventually we'll have her full program. But I think that is something that is being looked at for the next chronic pain meeting, because I think we do need these perspectives. And I think, unfortunately, um, you know, you're going to get a whole spectrum of feelings on all of this. Um, But I think, you know, having having that perspective is really important for us as practitioners to be able to continue to provide, you know, good, um, you know, bilateral care for our patients. You know, I, I think it's important to have their input. Um, but obviously, you know, we need evidence to guide where we go. Yeah. And I, I think it, I think it at least shows we're, we're listening to the concerns, not necessarily agreeing with all of them, but you're acknowledging that that's a valid perspective and um, trying to empathize, sympathize, but you're also introduce, introducing, like you said, the evidence, which really should guide what we're doing. Absolutely. So, Andrea, one of the things that I always love about the ASRA meetings is the opportunities to network. And I think ASRA does a really great job with the Let's Eat and all the evening events in terms of encouraging networking. And I personally met many trainees um, you know, during several of these sessions. Do you want to highlight maybe some of your favorite networking events at ASRA for our listeners in terms of things that, um, you know, they could look forward to with the fall meeting or even the spring meeting? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I think as someone who started in ASRA on the resident section committee and has been involved from the very beginning of my career to now, you know, that importance of networking and getting that, you know, base of people out there to potentially become your mentors and sponsors is such a huge thing. So for me, I think the the best kind of highlights of our meeting would be obviously the networking session on Thursday, um, the little wine and bubbly reception, which I know is people are pretty excited about because we had the second line and had good music and good drink and food. Um, And then something I've really enjoyed, which I didn't get a chance to do at this meeting because of my um, responsibilities as meeting chair, but we do offer a mentorship um, capability where mentees, um, whether they're med students or residents or fellows, can match up with faculty involved in ASRA and meet with them at the meeting to, you know, outline some career goals or career objectives or potentially network that way. Um, and I know that there's some up-and-comers in ASRA that I've had the opportunity to get to know and mentor through that um, opportunity in the last few years. So that's one of my favorites. And then I think another place that's really exciting to network is at the SIG meetings. Um, there's so many amazing uh, special interest groups that ASRA has, whether it be functional medicine, um, neuromodulation or the women in regional anesthesia and pain medicine, that is another wonderful place for trainees and residents or even junior faculty to come and interact with um, their peers and with their colleagues and then with Azure faculty. As we all know, you know, you need that mentorship and sponsorship to um, open up opportunities, whether it be within Azra or outside of Azra. So, Andrea, the other um part that Azure is really keen on is innovation and um, whether we like to admit it or not most of us are very interested in technology and the development in technology and how that implicates our options for patient care. 
Um, what do you find, and I, I kind of, as a acute pain regional person, I feel like I look at you guys and feel like you guys have the best gadgets in chronic pain. So what do you, where do you, where's the cutting edge? What was new that you saw at the meeting where people are like, oh, these are new options that we have for our patients that we've been craving for a long time, or we were uh, surprised to see coming around the corner? Well, and I think for me, innovation, you know, uh, as a NIH-funded researcher and person who devotes most of my time to research, I am not a big implanter or gadget person, um, and but I, I recognize their place, and I'm very glad that there is a large faction of, you know, pain medicine specialists who like their gadgets and who are good with utilizing them in patients. And so I think we really tried to craft sessions highlighting, you know, advanced pain medicine technologies. There was a session um, looking at advanced cancer technologies, advanced um, neurostimulation and peripheral stimulation technologies, as well as intrathecal drug technologies. And I know that that was a really exciting and wonderfully attended session. Um, in addition, you know, regenerative medicine is gaining a lot of traction in, in our field. And I think that those sessions were also very popular. But for me, I think some of the more innovative sessions were on topics that had nothing to do with gadgets, um, and they had more to do with novel uses of old medications for new purposes. So there was many sessions on the use of low-dose naltrexone um, for chronic pain syndromes or chronic fatigue syndrome, and I know that those sessions were highly um, well-received, and I guarantee you there's a lot of people who left that meeting and are starting to write for this medication, um, as it does have a lot of use and indications. Um, so I think that session, um, which also included the novel opioid targets, um, which are obviously opioid molecules that don't cause side effects, is that that's what the whole focus of the, the session was, that that's stuff that really, for me, was very innovative and exciting, because at the end of the day, even though we can perform interventions and procedures on people, it doesn't mean that we necessarily should for all of them. And therefore, I think as pain management physicians, we always need to remember that, you know, even though we can perform interventions in the spine and elsewhere, we are still at the end of the day pain medicine specialists and we should ha have a good understanding of pharmacology and um, be on the forefront of the different types of non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic treatments that we can offer patients. Hey, Andrea, I wanted to ask uh, just real quick, did you um, incorporate any uh, requests from SIGS to uh, to create some content into your meeting and any of their proposals. And before you answer, I would uh, let everyone know that the call for SIG content for the 2021 fall meeting is due December 27th. So that's about a week away. So just letting everybody know. That's a great question. Yes, absolutely. So we did have that call for SIG content prior to um, the significant development of my meeting and many of the sessions you saw from the headache session to the regenerative session, uh, medicine session, and then the pediatric session were all influenced by um, the SIG groups uh, sending us information that they wanted to see up on the stage. And then m many of our sessions were also sponsored by the Women in Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine group, um, and those were the professional development seminars as well as the last plenary session um, focusing on diversity and inclusion. One last question, Andrea. So 
for people going to next year's meeting, the, the itinerary is not fully out yet, but year to year, there are some kind of classic uh, sessions that show up. What would you say the top three do not miss sessions should be on everyone's radar? So, I mean, I think the classic sessions are usually always on um, neuromodulation topics as well as radiofrequency ablation topics. I mean, I think those are um, two facets of our, uh, our, you know, armamentarium of procedures that in the chronic pain world are highly utilized and um, are having the most rapid growth and exploration and research in. Um, and then in terms of other potential content, I think the practice management portfolio, I mean, the landscape of our um, our climate in terms of how we practice changes very, very rapidly. And a lot of that has to do both with, um, you know, fiscal responsibilities of insurance companies and of um, state and federal uh, insurance companies, but also with the research that we perform. I think a lot of people um, you know, forget that our research can inform policy. And so, um, as Gary mentioned, the practice management portfolio was pretty much standing room only, if I'm um, not mistaken, this past year. So, um, I think in terms of, you know, future years where you'll continue to see content that is a of a, a gold standard for ASRA, I think those are definitely the sessions that are kind of can't miss. Well, Andrea, I think I speak for all of us when I say that you did uh, all your hard work over the last several years paid off in a really fantastic meeting that was well attended, but not only that, well appreciated by everybody that came. And, and um, you really pushed the envelope as to what these meetings can be. And I hope uh, we see a lot more of that uh, as we go into the spring and fall meeting. So I'll remind people that um, the spring meeting, the spring meeting is for the acute pain regional meeting is going to be in San Francisco, April 23rd to the 25th. And I didn't mention it earlier, but the f next year's fall meeting uh, which is the chronic pain meeting is November 19th through the 21st and that's going to be in Las Vegas, Nevada. So just go to azra.com if you have any questions about any of those details, when the deadlines are, those kinds of things. And uh, as Eric mentioned, if you are in one of the special interest groups and want to submit content for consideration for the fall meeting in 21, if I have that correct, um, that's due here in just about a week or so. Uh, thank you, Andrea, again for joining us. Um, congratulations on a fantastic meeting, and uh, I hope uh, you're getting a little bit of uh, relief and relaxation after that meeting's been over now. Thank you so much. And I, I just want to thank the membership of ASRA because I think, um, you know, I'll take some credit, but I think the success of the meeting really depends on the membership. Um, and I, I'm just so thankful for how the membership showed up this year and really made this one of the best meeting me meetings ever. And uh, Eric, Gary, Sandy, thank you guys for joining us today. And um, I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks, everyone. Great job, Andrea. Uh, thank you so much.